Come and grab your seats. Um, well, each week as a church, we have teaching from the Bible. And we're in a teaching series where we're looking at the Ten Commandments, God's Ten Rules for Life, for the blessed life. Not the wealthy life, but the blessed life, the way life works best. And what we've seen is that of the ten, they, they divide quite neatly into two. The first four are about loving God, and the second six are about loving people or loving your neighbor. And actually, the first four are framed around the pattern of your words, you know, your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. Love God, don't make any idols, um, don't take God's name in vain, your word and your deeds, honor the Sabbath. And then the second six, the order's, the order's flipped, and it looks instead at your thought, no, what's the reverse of thoughts, words, deeds, deeds, words, thoughts, these words, thoughts, it flips around, very helpful, I planned this before, what I was going to say. Um, and actually, we're in the middle commandment today, number five, looking at honoring our parents. Uh, and the, the Ten Commandments can be divided into two, but also quite neatly into three, that it's about getting our priorities right, loving God, honoring our family, and then everybody else. And that's a helpful structure for life generally. If you have a Bible and want to turn with us, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. Oh, actually, no, if you're going to turn anywhere, turn to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, and we're going to read from there together in a moment. Um, right, let's just have a look at this. The fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, in the New Testament, this command is picked up in two places by two people and applied to followers of Jesus. The first place that it's picked up is by the, the Apostle Paul, who writes to a church in ancient Turkey, and he picks it up and applies it to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good, and it's the first commandment with a blessing, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And that's quite a nice, comfortable one for us, particularly those of us in the room. The kids have all gone out and we're thinking, good, I'm glad somebody's telling my kids to behave themselves and obey their mums and dads because we want, that's a comfortable message for us. It's not too hard. But the other person in the New Testament that picks it up is Jesus. And Jesus uses this command to speak to adults and he speaks to adults who are trying to wriggle their way out of obeying this command. And as we're going to see in a moment, he has some pretty fiery and feisty and challenging things to say to the people of his day. Jesus is speaking to adults. Which if you think about it, the Ten Commandments when they were given by Moses off the mountain were given to the group of God's people that were gathered who were, by and large, adults. And it's not as though all the other nine were given to adults and this one was given to kids. You know, do not murder, do not commit adultery. Which, by the way, did anybody ever think that committing adultery was behaving like an adult um, when you were a kid? No, no, me neither. Um, do not commit adultery, do not murder, honor the Sabbath. And it's not like it suddenly said, now kids, obey your parents. No, it's all addressed to adults. It's all relevant for us today. So let's have a look at this. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 9. This is what Jesus said. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said to him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Which isn't so much about cleanliness, it's about ritual purity before you eat as a way of consecrating what you're about to do to God. So he's not crit critiquing their hygiene. And Jesus answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded you, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, 
You have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. So Jesus is going after these religious teachers because they are essentially saying, well, I know that the commandments say that, but if you wanted to give money to the temple instead, well, you don't need to use the money to honor your mom and dad. Don't worry about that. They're using religious arguments to justify treating people poorly, and Jesus is furious. Hypocrites, he calls them. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you when he said this, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as the doctrines, the commandments of men. Hypocrites. Jesus is fiery and feisty. And most people in the UK, when they think about Jesus, don't think about this Jesus. They think about the, the mild-mannered, wouldn't-hurt-a-fly on first name terms with the plants, kind of really sweet and lovely, like the old AA mechanics from the advert. Such a nice man. What a lovely man. Most people, when they think of Jesus, they think of that Jesus. And here we have Jesus calling out these adult religious teachers and nailing them for their behavior. Actually, if you're, if you're exploring Christianity and you, maybe you've been hurt by the church before or maybe you've had a bad experience of religious people, it should give you a lot of comfort to know that the harshest words Jesus ever spoke were, for, were towards religious people. See, it's not just you and me that might have a problem with religious people. It was Jesus himself, and he nails them for it. He's very angry, and publicly he condemns them. Now, I want to talk about why this command, however, is relevant for us. It's talking to them in, what is it, first century Israel, but it's relevant for us. In the, Jesus was talking to a Middle Eastern context where there was already probably quite a high reverence for their elders and their parents. If it was true for them, it's certainly true for us in 21st century Britain. You see, there have been few societies in history that have shown less regard and reverence for people who are older than us, than our society. When you travel anywhere in the world, in Japan or India, Africa, South America, many of them honor cultures that know how to treat people who are older than with the respect. You travel anywhere outside of the Western Hemisphere, which is basically the rest of the world where the majority of people on the earth live, you find a very different attitude towards ancestors and parents than you do in the West. Uh, it's the difference between this film, Black Panther, that was out was it last year, that's often talking about, Luke, if you have the next slide, that's often talking about honoring parents and the, the ancestors, keeping the tradition of the ancestors and being concerned with what they think, versus the Western attitude towards parents, which is this guy, personified in Daddy Pig. Now, my kids watch, watch Peppa Pig. I'm not telling you, you kids can't watch Peppa Pig. But nowhere else in the world would Daddy Pig have been invented. Children are basically trained from a young age to think of their dads and grandparents, as, particularly grandpas, as basically being pretty stupid. He's a bumbling fool of a man. Which I know I've kind of attacked Daddy Pig twice in the last year publicly, but there it is. Um, um, yeah, there are bigger fish to fry than taking down the pepper pigs of this world, but nevertheless, it embodies for us something that is of significance for us. This is an issue for us, and I want to convince you of that. You know, many languages in the world today still maintain a reverence in their language for people who are older than them. In Turkey, you would use the word abi to refer to an older man. Uh, someone that you would treat with respect. In France, you would use the, the pronoun vous for talking to someone older than you as a sign of respect. 
50 years ago in, the, in England, we would have talked about Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, whereas today, having flattened the generations, there's now no difference between an older person and a younger person, and we, we use, we're on first name terms with everybody, whether we know them very well or not. There is an infantilization in our language that's taken place, which fits because our society is obsessed with play and playing and playfulness. And so even the way that we address each other is childish rather than honoring or reverent. And that's there's many people in the church I know who aren't from the West, particularly many of you who are African, and you, you are good at exampling for us how to speak to people sometimes. Uncle so-and-so and auntie so-and-so. It's an important way of showing respect and honoring. On Amazon, there are 70,000 books on parenting, and there isn't, but there isn't even a category on how to honor your parents. In fact, there's just 4,000 books on aging parents, and most of those books are about how to get them into a care home or declutter their house, um, which I don't know about you, but I have a lot more clutter in my house than my mum does. Um, ben Judah wrote a book called This Is London, and in that book, he documents talking to different people, and he describes an encounter he had with a Syrian man who was raising children here. He'd fled the war in Syria, was living in London, and he had said this, that when, his, when he was old enough he was, and able, he was going to return to Syria. And when questioned about this, because in Syria there's been a civil war, your country's been destroyed, are you sure? Why do you want to go back to Syria rather than living here? He said, I don't want my son, when he's a teenager, to turn around and say F you to me which is shocking and tragic, but we also know that it's true in the way that teenagers are stereotyped as treating their parents and their elders. Hopefully you're convinced this is a problem for us. This is something, this is a commandment that's not just sterile that we need to teach the kids, but this has traction with you and me. I want to ask the question though, why is it like this? Why is our society the way that it is and the way that we treat those who are older than us? And there's a range of different reasons, and then there's one big one that we'll come to at the end. The first reason is probably that British society is individualistic more than it is community-minded. Every person does what is right in their own eyes for themselves without really giving any regard to the wider community or even to their wider family. We're an individualistic society. Which, by the way, is one great reason why it's so good to be part of a church. Uh, I'm, I'm training my boys and I'm experiencing the blessing myself of, of learning to see that my life and my meaning in my life doesn't come from myself or even from my family, but from a community of people that I have joined myself to. Second reason or another reason is that it is, UK society is egalitarian and democratic. Um, it is a, an equal and flat society where every person has an equal voice. So an 18-year-old who knows nothing about the world has just as much say in the governing of our country as someone who remembers rationing. I mean, think about that for a moment. Someone who has lived through the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, they have as much say about what our government should be doing as someone who's just left college. It's terrifying. You think that those people should have like five or six votes and others should have one. Another reason is that it is we are living in a progressive society, which means that we believe that the future will be better than the past. Simply because it is the future, of course it's going to be better. And since that's the case, we prioritize and we emphasize youth over age. 
The young, therefore, must be wiser than old people since the future belongs to them and the future is better than the past. The olden days belong to people who are stuck in the past. We talk about yesterday and history as being bad and boring. In fact, just this past week, Prince Harry came under a bit of a, uh, fire for some, a speech that he made at a, a WE conference, which is a strange name for a conference. It's actually to do with the WE is in W-E, a gathering of people rather than another type of WE. Prince Harry gave a, a speech at this conference, and in that speech, he kind of typifies the attitude of our age. In speaking to these people, he said, to be amongst all of you progressive, motivated, open-minded change makers is what gives me hope for the future. You are the most engaged generation in history. You care about values, doing the right thing, and championing the causes that will shape your future. You aren't always going to agree. You may find yourselves frustrated with the older generation when it seems they don't care, but try to remove that judgment. Our society is individualistic. It's egalitarian and democratic. It's progressive. It's also a society that is obsessed with new technology. And just by, by virtue of that fact, and by virtue of that, that children are almost always better with handling with and getting to grips with new technology, we are always, in that, as a result of that, going to be tilting society towards the young. It's alarming how good my two-year-old is on the iPad. It's probably a reflection of my poor parenting. Have the iPad and leave me alone. But kids pick up new technologies and they're less intimidated by new ideas and new gadgets much faster than older people. They're less intimidated by them than older people, which over time gives more power to young people. We're a society that is obsessed with beauty and therefore anything that can make you look young and healthy and strong and vibrant. I mean, once you get beyond age 25, you are past your physical peak, they tell us. Although to look at some of you, I would think, no, that's not true. But it's true. Jerry, you're absolutely right. I was thinking of you, Jerry, when I said that. Yeah. <laughs> We're a society that's obsessed with beauty. We're also obsessed with money. And to make money requires you to be very productive and um, energetic. Therefore, all of those things means that we are tilted towards the young. Uh, a local preacher writes in one of his books, Glenn Scrivener from Eastbourne, he says something quite insightful about all of this. He said, on my social media feeds, the only time I hear of the elderly is when they act like young people. So occasionally, there's the story of the 70-year-old marathon runner, or the 80-year-old breakdancer, or the 90-year-olds into speed dating, and we say, aren't those old people inspiring? What we fail to add, but what we undeniably mean is, when they act like 20-year-olds. We don't prize the elderly for the qualities traditionally associated with them, wisdom and experience. No, but when they muster up the vigor to ape our youthful trends, then we'll pay attention, briefly. He's right. Why is our society the way that it is? Well, for those reasons, but also for one major reason that no one seems happy to talk about very often. And it's the reason that secular society is hopeless. There is no future hope beyond the grave. For secular people who don't have, uh, who don't know God, who don't have a belief in God as part of their framework and way of understanding the world, for them, everything stops at death. It's hopeless. As a result of that, 
we trumpet and value youth. We distract ourselves from death and we give old age the boot. Old age reminds us of the inevitable, that we will all of us die. And so we hide it from ourselves as often as we can. We marginalize older people. Or we say, we blame old people for decisions that the government takes that a lot of people perhaps don't agree with. And we say, oh, we shouldn't have let the elderly vote in that decision. We dishonor them. To this world, to people who think and behave like that, it's to us that Jesus speaks those words. And it's to those people that God says in Exodus 20, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that Yahweh your God has given you. In other words, blessings, the blessings of your future, depend on how you serve those who have served you in the past. It's also um, one of the only, in, in the love others section of love your neighbor section of the Ten Commandments, it's the only one that's stated positively. The others are all fairly negative. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cover. This one is a do. Do. Honor. As a result, this requires active engagement rather than just simple avoidance or resistance. Because you can hear the commandments, don't lie, don't steal, and you think, okay, job done. This one smacks you in the face and says, do this. Honor your mother and your father. You can't leave here and think, well, I've avoided dishonoring them, therefore I've done it. It requires you to think, how do I keep this command? What do I do? So what does it look like for us? That's the question. Uh, the Canadian writer Tim Chalice gives us some helpful pointers that I thought I'd share. That perhaps just form some of the, I don't know, just the background understanding of how we might honor our parents in this society. The first one is this. We honor our parents by forgiving them. Now, some parents have done unspeakable things to us. Some of you don't know your parents. You've never had a relationship with your biological parents. Some of you have only ever experienced bad things as a result of them. Forgiving your parents is the only way that you can begin to be free from the pain that they've caused you. Or it may be that they've died Forgiving them is the only way that you can be free from the negative grip that they hold on you. But forgiving your parents as a way of honoring them is something that we should do, not just if we've had a bad experience of parenting, but particularly if we've had a good experience of parenting as well. Even good parents need your forgiveness regularly. When you're willing to forgive a parent, you are also ready and able to acknowledge the fact that your parents cannot play the part of God in your life. Revering a parent too much turns them into an idol or a mini-God. Being devoted to the purity and um, brilliance or just sinlessness of a parent ultimately means that you're going to break their heart and your heart. Ultimately, your relationship with your parent will be ruined if you fail to acknowledge the fact that they are imperfect and need your forgiveness regularly. Acknowledging our parents' humanity is one of the first steps to having a, a proper relationship with them as an adult. And many people, ha having had good parents, they think of some of the ways their parents have let them down, and they don't really want to acknowledge it properly, so they say, oh, it's fine, it's fine, I mean, it's fine. You need to forgive them. Forgiving them 
frees them as well as you from the inevitability that your relationship will crumble through you holding them up and revering them too much. It also means that resentment, which kills intimacy, doesn't grow in a relationship. So the first thing we do to honor our parents is we forgive them. Secondly, we should speak well of them. We should speak well of them. In the Old Testament, cursing a parent carries the same penalty as assaulting them does. And we live at a time where it is common and it is expected to dishonor and criticize any authority figure, especially, you might say, parents. But remember that how you speak about your parents will in all likelihood be the way that your kids end up speaking about you. And there's cultural pressure to blame our parents for everything that goes wrong in our lives. I am the way I am because of my parents. Don't blame me, blame them. Well, if we're going to do that, we should also at least blame them for the good things in our lives as well. The good bits about you are not just, well, I blame my parents for the bad bits, but the good bits, that's all me. I'm just very clever, and I managed to free myself, and this is me. Taking this, this idea seriously means that we're going to have to get creative, look for ways that we can honor them or esteem them. Write your parents a letter. Give a speech at their birthday. Tell them, my good whatever it is, my good money management or my, I don't know, my good, the good relationships I have in my life are a result of you teaching me good things and I'm grateful for that. Tim Keller, the author, says you, we should respect the need for our parents to see themselves in us. There's a need for every parent to look at their kids and say, I see myself in you. We should respect and acknowledge that need and therefore we should look for ways to honor them, to speak well of them publicly esteeming them. In fact, if you've got a parent here and you've, I don't know, maybe part of this church and you've, you've grown up under your parents, we would love to give more time on Sundays to honor our parents publicly. We as a church are called to be counter-cultural, not just a, a, a cleaned up version of something else. We're to be the people of God who actively honor parents. I'd be very happy if you came up to me and said, hey, can I read this out and honor my parents one day? Let's do that. Teach us, help us to be, get better at this. Thirdly, we should seek their wisdom. In Scripture, age comes with wisdom. Folly, foolishness, is associated with youth. Now, parents don't know everything, but they always know more about some things, and often they know more about the main things in life. I love what the author Mark Twain is cre credited as saying. Mark Twain said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he'd learned in seven years. <laughs> so we honor our parents by forgiving them, by speaking well of them, by seeking their wisdom. Fourthly, by providing for them. I mean, that's the immediate context of the verse that Jesus is saying, Jesus is, uh, the verses we read in where Jesus is speaking. Giving money to the temple in Jesus' day while your parents starve is wrong. You're to use your money to honor your parents, Jesus says, first. And actually, in one of the letters at the end of the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to a young apprentice, Timothy, in the faith, and he says to him something very strong. He says, uh, if anyone who doesn't provide for their immediate family, he says, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. She's strong. If you bear the name of Christ, call yourself a Christian, 
you have a priority to provide for your family, to honour your parents. The fifth thing we can do to honour our parents is to support them. Psalm 71 verse 9 says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age, or forsake me not when my strength is spent. Supporting our parents has to do more with just giving them the odd handout of money that you might have lying around to provide for them when they need it. Supporting them has to do with you being present in their life, recognizing their need for companionship and friendship. We have people in this church who have given us incredible examples of what this looks like. I think of uh, Dave and Trish McQuillan, who, who took their aging parents into their home for many years as a way of caring for them and supporting them as long as it was needed for them. In a society like this, the default habit is to put our parents into homes in their older age, which we must, I mean, I'm not really attacking or critiquing that practice at all, but we have to at least acknowledge that for almost any other society at any other time in human history, that is an appalling way to treat our elders and our parents. Whether or not it's right in this society, again, like I said, I'm not commenting on that. I know it's complex. But still, honoring our parents looks like being a support to them, visiting them, spending time with them. They want not just presence, but your presence, as in C-E. When this happens, and again, I mentioned a couple. There are others in this church I know who are just exemplary at that. People who have, who have honoured and spent themselves caring for older, rel- older people who aren't, aren't even their biological relatives. Regularly visiting people to, with companionship and through services like that. When the church does that, it is the Christian community at its best saying we will take it seriously to honour our parents. Even if someone else is unable to honour their parents properly, we'll step in and we'll be the family of God who can do that. So that's... Five ways of what it might look like for the people of God, the church, to honor our parents. I just want to close with this. I want to ask the question, why does all this really matter? It could seem a little bit strange to have this commandment among the ten. You know, we understand that if you want to live in a peaceful, prosperous society, uh, it's good to advise people not to murder or commit adultery or steal from each other or lie. We understand that. Why honor parents? Why not just honor people and you'll get on fine? Why does it stress parents over others? Why not just say, honor your colleagues, honor your brothers, honor your sisters, just do good to all. But instead, it says, honor your mother and father. Why? Well, I think close to the heart of why is that there is a direct relationship between how people think about and treat their parents and how people think about and treat God. Think about it. In societies where parents and fathers especially are seen as being very authoritarian and disciplinarian or powerful in societies like that where they're seen as being authoritarian rather than intimate or affectionate people tend to think of God like that as well an authoritarian being in the sky who occasionally smites people but isn't very kind or affectionate it's not the God of the Bible that's the God that we've inherited from Victorian England or from 1940s parenting but in societies like this societies like Seaford and New Haven Peace Haven, Eastbourne, there's v- where there's very little distinction of honor between mothers and fathers and children. It's all kind of been flattened. There's no authority. In societies like that, we tend to think of God in a similar way. Rather than being the, the Lord Almighty, He's the Lord Almighty. He's there to, you know, help me fulfill my dreams and my goals. 
I'm allowed to call God into question, have a very different relationship with God in a society like this than you would do, say, in sub-Saharan Africa where there's a lot of greater reverence for their elders and parents. And to reiterate a point that we made several months ago now, uh, there is an epidemic of fatherlessness in, a soci- in our society that is catastrophic and will have catastrophic implications for your kids and their friends for generations to come. In a society like this, it is the, it is the case that one in four households are fatherless. What does that do to how people think about God? Psychologists have actually shown that there is a direct link between fatherlessness and atheism. Because, of course, if your father is absent, then God is probably absent. My father never existed, so it's very unlikely that God exists in any real sense. Again, this is another reason why the vision of church as family is so key and something that mustn't stay as a vision that we go, oh, the church is like a family, but something that we must engage and say, how do we do that? The community of God in the Bible is not a a Sunday gathering. It's a congregation, a family that are called together to be brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunties and uncles together. That's why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, treat younger women as sisters, older women as mothers, younger brothers, younger men as brothers and fathers, so that we are the family of God. And as we, the people of God, rally around and support each other, honor our parents in the room, What we do is then we create an active vision of what God is like and how God wants to be involved in someone's life. Serving in the kids team or the youth team here on Sundays, at the very least, is a responsibility that all of us ought to feel. It it, it ought not to be the question of should I serve in the kids or youth work. The question should be should I serve in the rooms on a Sunday or should I look to encourage and befriend our young people outside of the rooms on a Sunday? Because the way that you, mother and father, our young people, speaks to them about what God is like. That's why this commandment is significant. You see, in Christianity, the God of the Bible is transcendent. He's other, but he's also imminent. He's close and near at hand. He's awesome and he's affectionate. He's creator and he's compassionate. He's majestic and he's merciful. He's holy and he's happy. He's infinite and he's intimate. He's Lord and he's love. That's why this commandment matters. And we see, all of the, we see this commandment lived out perfectly in the man Jesus himself. He honored his father perfectly, spoke often about him in tender terms. He represented God the Father to others. He obeyed his father. He, was cared, he cared and was concerned deeply about the honor of his father. That's why that scene in the Gospels is so moving where Jesus overturns the moneylenders and the thieves in the temple and he shouts to the people who are doing what they shouldn't be. He says, it, was, it is written that my father's house should be a house of prayer for all nations and you've made it a den of robbers. He cares about his father, his father's honor. He models for us. And then by dying for our sins... Jesus brought dozens and then hundreds and then thousands and now billions of people into his father's family. And he offers forgiveness to those of us who fall short of his standards. Those of us who are willing to acknowledge, I don't honor my parents as I ought to. It's easier for me to stand up here and say, you should do these five things. But as I'm preparing during the week, I'm thinking, God, help me. I'm a product of my age as much as anybody else. How have I been? How do I do this practically? How how well do I speak of my mother? 
Jesus' obedience to his father, the way that he honored his father, brought blessing to the world. And may our honoring of our parents bring blessing to the land that we live in, to the town that we love, to the people of this country, to those that we care deeply about. We're going to respond together this morning by breaking bread. But let me just lead us in a time of prayer.